Welcome to episode number 31 of Developer Launch, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century, directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We're very keen on learning what you think about this show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comment on our website. We appreciate all your feedback. If you like to pay for our drinks in a future episode, please contact us. And here are your hosts. I'm Peter Kofler, the Code Corp. Obviously, I'm fanatic about clean code. My name is Christian Haas. I'm a developer who embraces extreme programming. My name is David Leitner. I'm an enthusiastic software developer working in different stacks and environments. And I'm very happy to welcome our guest today, um, Nick Graf. Nick, do you want to introduce yourself shortly to our audience? Yes. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, hi, I'm Nick. Um, I'm a software engineer from Vienna. Um, I work in Vienna, but also remote a lot. Um, and yeah, what I do mainly is I'm a consultant focusing on React and GraphQL. Um, in that regard, I also do some workshops uh, and produce video courses on a platform called Acad.io. Um, and as a side project with Max Stoiber um, and Brian, I work on a little uh, change log product called ChangeFeed. And in addition to that, I uh, started the very first React uh, Vienna meetup a couple of years ago and still uh, co-organize it today. Now we have a big team. That's a lot of fun then, a lot better than doing it alone. And also help Patrick, who was in a recent episode um, with, uh, we organized the Reason Conf and um, help with the Reason Association. Yeah. Cool. So one of your main topics, as you already mentioned, is, is of course GraphQL. Um, um, actually, <laughs> it fits perfectly to the last name. Yeah, I'm sure you heard this before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized it again, uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, Usually I say, I tell people, wow, you're the first one. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been nice, actually. Yeah? Uh, but it's a <laughs> no. um, Yeah, well, maybe... To, to, to start off or to kick off this episode, what, what, are, what is the space for GraphQL? I mean, we see it in, in so many projects now. Many people are starting to use it. Um, also, I would say um, non, non um, or more traditional um, software companies or software projects start to dig into GraphQL. What do you think is the, is the, is the drive for GraphQL or the momentum right now um, we see and what's the space? Where would you use it, and in which situation does it definitely make sense um, to take a look at GraphQL if you didn't do so? Yeah, sure. Um, so in general, um, GraphQL, yes, as you said, it's getting a lot more adoption, um, and it's starting to replace like the main use cases to starting uh, to replace the API API layer, which is uh, mostly REST, and. Um, yeah, this is where it's also. I think it's it's strong suit. It's a um, it's a basically an API protocol to exchange data, um, and the main use cases talk from to communicate from your um, 
uh, web front-end or from your mobile apps um, to the API backend. Um, a lot of people started using also uh, as communication layer between uh, services, microservices or um, services in general. But yeah, this is um, in some cases I have my doubts, um, but we can go into that. Maybe I explain a bit about where is GraphQL coming from and why, why it's even there uh, to kick it off. Um, maybe, maybe I can give you a little bit of um, historical background. Um, so GraphQL was actually in, um, like designed by a team of like I think three engineers um, uh, from Facebook: um, uh, Lee Byron, uh, Dan Schrock, uh, and I forgot the third name, but um, uh, will come back to me later hopefully. And uh, the problem they were facing at Facebook is simply that um, they had like plenty of API endpoints and uh, basically being inconsistent and untyped in the end. Um, I don't know if they use Swagger or not, um, which is a great tool to actually document REST APIs. And, and, and um, But in the end, they were, they were dealing with this problem of like um, maintaining these, these endpoints and then um, especially the problem of like, we don't know who fetches what. Um, because what you have in an endpoint, you return a ton of attributes, um, but you don't know which client is using what. And this was a big problem for them because uh, what, what happened uh, with what usually happens with software where you don't know who's using what, you simply add to it, but you never remove. Um, and what, you, what they got is the problem of like, endpoints were sending a lot of data and it just got bigger and bigger. Um, and um, yeah, that's a problem if, I mean, especially on Facebook scale, when you, when you surf, uh, when you have to provide um, uh, regions with like low bandwidth or in the, in, especially in the phase where they were going, I mean, this is years back, five, six, seven years uh, going uh, probably or four or five years. Um, going to, to low bandwidth uh, situations and mobile devices and so on. So there were this team, apparently it already had a, like a lot of leverage inside Facebook that they, that they could do something of like sit together and say, okay, what about we rethink the, the whole idea of like how we fetch data from clients to um, um, uh, like from clients to our backends. And uh, GraphQL, I mean, it, it took some iterations. Um, there are some talks from the from the creators where they where they shown how it actually went from from how they had some ideas and they discarded them and so on. Um, uh, but how it went from like an early idea to like rethink the API layer um, to then to what GraphQL is is nowadays. And actually, in the last couple of years, it it didn't change a lot. So there's a there's a full spec spec a specification, um, and this is this stayed very stable. I mean, they they took care of it, and um, yeah, what, what's what's also good. So I mean, when they launched it, um, it was very closely related to React, and I think in a lot of sense it still is, um, because it came from the same organization, Facebook, um, and they started to to use it heavily. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
but but nowadays, um, as you said, a lot of companies are adopting it. And uh, why they did it basically is, is they um, are some some things about GraphQL. First of all, GraphQL is typed, um, so um, you have to type your API layer. You have to say if I want to fetch. Um, a restaurant and I want to fetch the tables from this restaurant um, and then you have a property if this table is currently available or not. Um, the restaurant is is basically a, a type with, with inside the table, then table can be a type and then you have a boolean inside and you, you're with the either the schema uh, or like you have to define your schema. Um, and this this was completely new because until now you only had like rest and there was a data layer and then you you get JSON back. Um, and you would, there were some attempts of like um, how to how to type JSON structures. Um, I, I can't remember the name right now and they were really successful. Also like uh, Netflix, uh, uh, Net, Netflix, not Netlify, um, basically in parallel to GraphQL uh, created Falcor, which was very similar, but also very different. I don't know if it was typed, but it was like solving the same problems. And with GraphQL, when you fetch data, um, you actually have to always, there's uh, always specify what you want, like down to every attribute. Um, and this is, um, this is interesting because so there's no like star syntax. I want to get all these attributes from this table. If you want to um, uh, want to receive as a client an attribute like the two free attributes, you have to specify them in the query. And this is very interesting because for, for on a Facebook level, but also now later, this solved the problem of like you can actually track which client is using what, and then. Um, if you deprecate fields, you really down to that field, you can get the data, is one client still using this or not? And this is fantastic because suddenly um, your, 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 your API endpoint can become a living thing where you can add things or you can deprecate things and you can remove them really based on knowledge if, if this is used. I mean, you could do the same thing with, with API endpoints. You could simply... Uh, um, bump the version um, and and um, basically recommend everyone to like use use this new new version of the API endpoint. Um, but yeah, with, with fields, it's on a more granular level. Um, for Facebook, this had the benefit, and the, I mean, this is still the case for everyone else that you, um, if you, let's say you get, um, you have a Star Wars API and you, um, you're uh, asking for the character Luke Skywalker and you want to get uh, the free films, that he, the titles of the free films that you played in, um, you only need to, the relate, to fetch the relationship of Luke Skywalker to films and not his eye color, his name, his, uh, 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 who was his father. I'm not going to spoil this here. Um, all these kind of things. Uh, with REST, typically you get all of that back, um, um, and and then you you and then what's happening is uh, in a in a pure REST world, you start to fetch. Um, let's say you get. Um, I mean, okay, now Luke is in more films, but um, um, uh, let's say you you have um, uh, ten years back. And you you uh, get the the entity Luke Skywalker from a REST endpoint, and you know you have a relationship to three films. 
then the free films are not, there's only IDs or links um, to the resource. And then you can do three more uh, requests to actually fetch, um, to fetch the data, the titles of these films. Now you get a lot more data back again from these films, all the relationships and so on and so on, with, but you don't need them. Um, because what you need is, I want to have from the person, Luke, I want to have the free films. If, if this is the desired outcome, um, yeah. And in GraphQL, you can actually type these relationships. And then what you would do is you say simply, okay, I want to have fetch the person, Luke, um, and I want to fetch the free film titles. And all the data that you get back is exactly this information. And it's not doing multiple requests. I mean, it does it um, if, if needed, but all the resolvement of, or like how the data is resolved is happening on the back end. And um, this is interesting because this suddenly like shifts a lot of complexity back from the front end to the back end. Um, and um, this is also like a point where you see a lot of like concerns about GraphQL. Because um, for if you if you're working on the front end, it's fantastic because you do one query, you get back what you want. If you're working full stack, it still feels so much better because often, like, or at least for me as someone uh, working a lot full stack, um, um, it, like I rather do this complexity on the back end uh, than on the front end. Because on the front end, it's it's a lot harder to manage and and to deal with a state management. Is is simply um, I find it easier to resolve this in a stateless fashion on the back end than actually manage state um, and this request on the, on the front end. And but this is if you really have a split like front end back end or you you have departments and you know mobile and and then back end and so on. Um, back end people like for them. It's a lot more work, a lot more effort, and then there's often a lot of pushback. Um, this was also in a historical sense, you could see a lot like people don't want this that solely work in the backend because like, it, yes, it causes a lot more problems. Um, suddenly if you have a full schema and then you have like recur recursive parts, um, you have to, um, let's say, Luke can refer to a film, but then from a film, you can also refer to uh, to the people, which means you can get Luke back and then you could write a query that goes very deep. Um, you need to establish security practices where you, um, where you have like complexity calculation up front of the query where you protect yourself against uh, nested queries that could take down your database or so, um, or like make your system very slow. Um, and um but basically this this um so there's like it makes things harder again for the back end but it's such a pleasure pleasure and and like ease of use in the front end um that it as soon as it came out and i mean in the beginning there were some rough uh, rough spots like the tooling wasn't there and so on but nowadays there's a lot of tooling and it's it's like for me simply like React was one of the big changes in front-end um, in the last couple of years. Um, and then the second one for me was GraphQL because it made for so many use cases. Um, uh, it made it so much simpler, easier, faster to produce, um, um, to, to, to be, um, yeah, to create software. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it's just cool. a, a place.
Yeah, that's, I think you, you you mentioned already lots of very interesting points, right? In, yeah. in this in this quite interesting introduction. So it's GraphQL, right? It's a query language, and it's a yes. way that that the front end is retrieving from the back end exactly what it needs. You explained yeah. that, but that's like not necessarily only data because the data could be derived or the data is like created on request. So it's more like an API way. It's not really going for some data. Or, or, or. Well, you can do both. You can, I mean, the main, well, you can do, um, it's it's one API. It's actually often, you don't have to, but often. Um, so so the, the transfer port layer is also not defined. You could use it over WebSocket or HTTP, but usually it's like one HTTP endpoint if you don't have live data with subscriptions, which is uh, another detail. Um, and it's one HTTP endpoint. What you can do is it's split into two parts. Um, which is also typed. Um, there's queries, so you can ask for different parts. So you can ask for restaurants, users, um, and so on and so forth. But also in restaurants, I can ask for all the users that are like, well, it depends on how you define your schema. But basically yeah, yeah. one part is the, the, the so queries. The the queries uh, yeah, so. how to, to query um, data. And the other part is uh, mutations. So you would actually send what you usually do with a post request um, is where to manipulate data uh, with just sending JSON and then getting information back. Um, you also can um, define in your schema the mutations, which is where you basically have inputs. Um, and then, but these mutations again allow you to query stuff based on how you define your schema and how you implement it, obviously. Yeah, but it's like what it, what it is in the end is like, um, all your think about all your REST endpoints um, suddenly connected into one big typed schema that you can query. Yeah, I understand. But that, that doesn't say anything about where the data comes from, right? So it can be from, yeah, from exactly. the backend database or it can be derived or it can be just like Absolutely. calculated on the spot or whatever it is. So it's, it's not really, well, it uses, it looks like it's querying a data, but oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more like That's an API way of creating an API. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just it's just basically a contract between frontend and backend. Okay. Yeah. Um, or like can be between backend and backend, wherever. It's just a contract. Yeah. Um, and the, and the schema defines uh, the contract in a way that it defines the relationships between all the entities. Yes, exactly. Okay, and then because it's a graph, I assume so much because it's GraphQL. That's where you can you said that you can also get uh, out the relations uh, by querying the relations because that's when I'm querying a graph, I can also query edges. That's exactly. like a basic that's, feature. Okay, yeah. but that would mean in the backend you have to implement uh, partially this graph uh, traversing matching kind of in your own code, right? Yes, you absolutely have to. Okay, and, I mean, and that's the problem. Where, you said the yeah. backend people don't like it because it's a lot of work. But yeah. I see the front end is, is simplified. Uh, and also you have the tracking what is selected because it has to be selected explicitly. Right? Yeah, exactly. You, okay. On the spot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, then you have like um, in the beginning um, when they released it, they only had, there was GraphQL.js, which was like, I mean, it, it's still nowadays the, the um, like reference implementation. 
Um, mm -hmm. Even though that Facebook doesn't use GraphQL uh, JS inside, they have their own thing um, with Hack or Hack PHP. Um, the creators initially decided the reference implementation will be GraphQL JS, um, and this is where where they, they uh, the spec was implemented. And then, but I mean nowadays you get GraphQL libraries for like basically every language you have it you have graphql libraries for clients as well as like how to implement the schema and uh, resolve queries to 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 data fetching um you, you have this in rust python ruby php javascript um javascript multiple libraries go whatever yeah so so the library gives me the boilerplate and I just have to implement certain pieces, how to fetch certain nodes or like what, what does the library give me? Yeah, uh, like, yeah. So for example, um, well, there, there's two different ways that are, that are common or like, yeah, it basically boils down to two different. One is the, um, is schema first. So you basically define your schema. They, they created also with the spec, a, a schema language, um, mm -hmm. Which is a yeah simple language defining types. Schema um, language, yeah. mm -hmm. And um, so one way is schema first, where you define your um, your schema, and then you basically just create an, an like in JavaScript, it's just an object where you put all your resolvers there. So basically, by nesting the object, you can say um, this query will resolve to this function, and then you have you're responsible for fetching it. But if you have a relationship, you can also say, okay, but if you get to this part of the relationship, then another function would take over, and um, okay. and you 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 simply start um, you you basically for the schema that you defined, you create resolvers. Um, and then you have inputs, and based on these inputs, you start to like do database queries or go to a different REST endpoint. And that, in that sense, even these frameworks are agnostic um, to the backend source because it's then then it's up to you if you're using I don't know Postgres or another REST service under the hood. Um, that's completely up to you. And this I is, see. I see. Yeah. So that would be the code that would have been in the old REST endpoints, in these many yes. endpoints, because they would do something custom, do some uh, SQL, yeah. maybe do some. And now I have to put them in the resolvers. So, so I have to do that anyway. In addition, I have to bring in the tool, but that simplifies the endpoint because I only have one endpoint, right? Yes, you have one endpoint, but okay. I mean the problems we're already getting it. If you implement resolvers, you get an M plus one problem. Um, because let's say you're fetching um, a restaurant and from that all tables, then mm -hmm. you like first it has to fetch the restaurant, then you're fetching the tables. Um, and then if you go for, um, I don't know, uh, customers that were at these tables, like mm -hmm. it, it's always, it always goes one resolver deeper, um, but this takes time and the query takes longer. And um, yeah, this is this is simple. But in the end, otherwise you would have done this on the front end anyway. Um, but yeah, now now you have like instead of like multiple requests that pile up, you just have one, which in the end is slower. There's ways to defer that or like split it up. You can still do this. Um, you could do two requests and like ask for for one part first and so on. But suddenly you have to think about these things. Well, I guess then if you do if you do bulk queries, maybe then the graph is not 
what you would use, right? Because you would just use joins or get everything at once. Is that is that going the direction of where it's not to be used? Because you said that in your yeah. introduction. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you this is well, this is a problem um that you like there are certain optimizations that you can do. Uh, but yeah, it, it has a limit. And then if you, uh, so I think if you talk about like fetching tons of data um, that is joined over multiple tables and you, you need uh, a lot of entries, um, maybe it's not the right tool anymore. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. this, this is, yeah, it really, it really depends on the use case then. And, and yeah. Okay, I see. I see that helps me. Uh, that helps me to get an idea what's going on here. Well, I I think as I said, you mentioned a, a lot of interesting things. Maybe we can talk about them in detail a little bit more. Um, yeah. So so first of all, yeah, as you also discussed with with Peter, I think one of the main advantages is that you avoid overfetching, right? That you just really um, yeah. um, fetch the stuff you need. And the second thing, which is, which I think you explained really also very well, is the schema thing, right? Because we see this now, not only in GraphQL, to be honest, I think this is a, a trend which was, uh, I think, get by GraphQL, mm -hmm. that actually the consumer decides what you need, right? Usually in APIs, you always have this, okay, there's an endpoint, you can get this data, right? Just get everything and pick what you want, right? And with GraphQL, we had the first time this this um, this reverse where the client said, "Hey, I need this and that, right?" And so it's clearly what the client needs. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as you said, this makes it very easy to understand who actually needs your data and how can I involve my my API without breaking all my clients, right? Yeah. And and in 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 REST endpoints, they they also have something like this now. There is a tool called which is usually called. Um, consumer-driven contract testing, right? Where you do the same thing more or less. We could maybe compare it. Yeah? It just came to mm. my mind when you talked about it. Um, that the client actually defines regular files, right? And um, so every client says, okay, I, I actually expect this swagger file to be available on the server, right? And when you, for example, change the backend implementation, you check against all these swagger files, which the clients actually request from you, right? Um, that you still fulfill them and you would then see, okay, if you, for example, as you said, remove the title of the Star Wars film, right, and one of the clients has this in its regular files, it will then actually break the bill, for example, or things like this. So I think that the idea um, is actually, as usual, right, if it's a good idea, also moving to, to other areas, right, but I think this is one of the really, really fundamental, interesting things, the schemas which are defined on the client side. And I think this is also maybe that the most difficult for the beginning. So maybe you can talk a little bit about this. How do you define schemas? What what are the pitfalls? What do you what should you avoid when you create your first GraphQL schema maybe? Yeah, sure. Yeah, in in, in general, I mean this is um um who where to start? Well if we if we just talk about schema design, let's say you you're completely fresh. Um you you get in GraphQL. You um, you you've you've used REST for a long time. Maybe you didn't have this uh, Swagger client uh, definition. Um, you see you see the type system, and this like for people who are who are fans of type systems, this is fantastic because really type out. The really excited about it, um, and. Um, so one of the pitfalls is um, people are used to type systems. They want to make everything strict. And I have the same 
uh, or I had the same tendency for, for GraphQL. I made everything as strict as possible. Um, and this was fantastic because then I, on the client, I could always rely on that it's that strict and so on. Um, but what's actually happening is the stricter you are, uh, what, 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 what's, uh, what's coming out is like every little change that you make suddenly becomes a breaking change. And this is a catastrophic because um, this makes it really hard to evolve a schema. So there's one thing that is like a best practice in GraphQL, um, which sounds crazy, but you, you try to make, um, when, you, when you have a field or you have a query or yeah, a field attribute, uh, whatever you call it, you like, when you define it, think about could this ever be like, is this absolutely mandatory, like an ID? You, you, you probably never remove an ID from an entity. But like, is there some field, uh, or is this field, could this change, or could this, uh, well, could, will we remove this eventually? And if the question is in any way possible, yes, then just make it nullable by default. And this is crazy because I, in every language that I use, like I, I use reason and so on, you, you try to make things non-nullable, um, where you, you make them, they're just in functional program, this whole this, or even TypeScript, everyone is, is trying to make things non-nullable. Um, but in this case for the API, it's actually a good idea because if you remove it, yes, this again shifts the burden to the client. The client have to check is this null, then I do something else. So you, you, you increase the amount of um, error handling that clients have to do or like deal with null, null values. But it's, um, how to say, like it makes your schema way, way easier to evolve. And this is really, really important because this contract, suddenly yeah, basically you're losing up the contract a bit, but on the other hand, this allows you to move faster. And you know, with agile software development, iterations, 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 um, having a little bit of a looser contract in that sense. I mean, the whole thing anyway, very tight with the type system. Um, you like just this nullability factor made it so much easier to, to in a real world environment to like move faster in terms of like how to build things. And, and yeah, so this is, this is one tip. Um, uh, another thing is that I, that I often see is, um, um, so in general, I mean, what, yeah, people are very excited about everything is typed as well. And then they, um, they build GraphQL schemas and they build themselves into a corner because they don't read about any best practices. It's just like, okay, I, I typed pagination is an interesting one. Um, but there is, uh, Facebook or like the, this, this team of free engineers are actually more, there, there was another team than involved, but they figured out like for everything that is a relation, um, they figured out one way of defining a schema, which is called the uh, connection spec, or this is a short name. There's actually the uh, relay cursor connection specification. This is the longer uh, correct one, but over, over some time they figured out like, if we always do entity relations um, in this way, um, then we, we, we can extend the schema in any way possible. Uh, however, the, the, the backend, the database relations and so on change. And 
this is basically best practice. Really, really, this, like if you do connections or like pagination or like reference another entity, do this. And um, I see a lot of like when a lot of companies are going, they simply never heard about this, don't read about this. Um, and then they have problems. Oh, now we have a schema, we have a relation to another entity, but um, we didn't build in pagination right away. Now it would be a breaking change to build it in and boom, you're, you have a problem. Um, and then they need to, basically you can extend the schema in another part, uh, but then you have like, you get to confusing names and so on. And you, yeah, so basically there's like, there's not many best practices, but like the connection spec, the how to define mutations, there's also a mutation specification. I mean, it's it's not, it's not, you don't have to do it. That's the, that's the kind of crazy part of a GraphQL. Um, it's just like, there's the GraphQL spec, which is like super flexible. And then there's like four or five, like best, presti, best practice specifications. And if you do them, you save yourself like 95% of the trouble. And what, what I did is I created an ACAD course, which is like 50 minutes long to watch. Um, and I, I think, I don't know, 70% of this course, designing GraphQL schemas, is just explaining these specifications to people in a way of like why it is, why, why they exist, because the specifications are not really good at this at the point, at this point, sadly. Um, but then a lot of people that come back to me that have seen the course um, or haven't been in a workshop that I have given at, at their company are like, wow, that's fantastic. Um, um, and, and yeah, I never thought about this, like, yeah, right. But um, uh, it's, it's in the end, it's just like four or five things that you have to do and you're, you're like 90% safe. And, and this is the, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally conflicted about it because it's awesome um, that it's just so little. And so basically it's easy to teach. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it's a great consulting opportunity, but yeah. <laughs> um, uh, on the other hand, it's like totally crazy. Maybe it should have been part of the course back or I don't know. But yeah, I see this again and again that people go into this pit. Ah, oh, it hurts so much. And I mean, this was also the reason why I started to to create this this video course and start giving workshops about it. Because every time I came into a new company for like a six three, six month contract, I came in, they hired me to like fix their React front end. And then we were talking a month only about the GraphQL schema and how to fix it and how to not screw it up in the future. Um, yeah, this, sounds, this, sounds, uh, this sounds to me a little bit like, well, okay, there's GraphQL and then there is GraphQL, the good parts in a very yeah. um, provocative uh, formulation. Yeah. So if, if, if it's already done with, um, one way to do it right, or at least one highly recommended way to do it right. What what would be the deciding factor to go all this trouble? So far as to correct me if I'm wrong, um, so far as understood it, you choose GraphQL if you have if you're building a backend where you don't know exactly who is going to be your client or list of clients or whatever there is. If I'm if I if I have the full stack under my uh, control, would I also then choose GraphQL? Yeah, absolutely, because. Think about when you, um, it's a lot about, um, in the end, what matters is like, how fast can you iterate on a product? And the thing is, um, yeah, uh, maybe now it's story time. Um, when I, like I experienced this many times, 
come into a company, we we start working on something in the front end, and we, um, I mean, this is just mostly the, the angle where I come in, um, and then then it's like there's rest endpoints, and it's perfect, cool, but there's like the back end and front end are two different departments, so you um, UI, UX, or feature product owner comes up with this idea, okay, we could show this one thing here as well. Um, that would make our whole experience so much better. We tested this with users, amazing. And you, you're like, yeah, really good idea. Um, I will write a story for the backend uh, because I don't get data at this point um, and I cannot query the relationship in this part or it gets really expensive or whatnot. Um, and then uh, you have a two-week cycle until someone in the backend implements it and you come back and you um, and then you actually can do it. And so it, it makes things slow. But if you have everything in one full schema that is typed, uh, I mean, in the end, you have the same problem. If the data is not there, you cannot um, you you cannot have it. But through the I don't know, it just um, um, maybe I really need to rethink how to um, how to tell the story or like how to what's the point? Because um, it just for me it always feels like when I'm in an environment where where there's React and GraphQL, we are we are simply so much faster. Um, yeah, but I mean, okay, so that yeah. The, so the, the point then is expose all the data that you have from the backend so that the clients can choose whatever they like. Yeah, kind of. I mean, uh, this is this is also the the problem with it is is obviously um, uh, ideally like philosophy wise, I always try to like only expose what you need because if you expose more, you have to deal with problems. You you you. Um, um, if you deprecate something, suddenly you have to remove it and, and it's always a burden and so on. Um, but yeah, just, just the fact that there's like one big schema and you can query things, um, uh, through the connections is, it just, it's just a blaze. It's, it's okay. nice to use and it's, okay. yeah, I mean, well, one thing maybe to explain it from the front end, um, by from the front end side, often when you. Um, in terms of state management, why it makes it more complex. Let's say you, you're fetching Luke, um, so you have to store Luke somewhere. Either you store it locally in a React component and then you fetch the films, um, and then you store these films, and then um, then you, you, you actually start to show it. Um, but with GraphQL, I simply can say, I want to get... Um, uh, Luke and his films and I could even say like from these films I want to get the director and it's like one query you get everything back so in in a lot of um, applications where it's basically in all the parts where it's read only it's like it's it's it simplifies it so much because you don't have to manage all of that anymore because it just resolves in one query and you're done and maybe that's that's the the winning factor um, for me um, but yeah it just, I think uh, I think maybe one interesting thing is usually you had this decision of making an API generic or specific, right? So, for example, REST APIs, if you had multiple clients, you try to make them very generic. And this led to the fact that actually you provided much more data as the client needed or it was very cumbersome for the client to get all the data he currently wants to show. And, and, and I think GraphQL somehow combines these things very nicely because you can be very generic it can be still used by many clients 
but it's for your purpose also very specific because you definitely exactly define what you what you really need yeah, yeah. Uh, but but Nick um, maybe maybe to to a few examples right um, maybe this helps people to 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 bring it into the right order so for for example let's say you work on a team five people right um, in the in the in the in the wonderful world scenario everybody is doing full stack. You have one web client and you have um, one kind of API. Is there any use case for GraphQL or would you just go for static um, HTTP endpoints and, and define them as you would currently need them in the front end? Can, can you, like five people in the team, you said? Yeah, let's say a smaller team, right? And everybody's yeah. more or less um, doing full stack so there's not this big wall between um, back end and front end. Yeah. And you just have one web client so you don't have multiple apps um, accessing those APIs. Is this? Would you still um, then go for for GraphQL, yeah. or do you think no? Well, so yeah. maybe my default now and uh, is basically I would go for GraphQL in that use case um, because I mean for me because it's it's not uh, because it's automatically typed through the schema. Um, there's also a lot of other benefits that I get is. Um, with, with TypeScript or Flow or Reason, I can automatically generate all the types of the, like based on the queries uh, or based on the mutations that I'm doing, I can generate all the TypeScript types or Flow types or Reason types, or yeah, I know it works the same way in, in, or in Swift and so on. You can generate all the, the, the types and, and so it's a lot of like less writing because you just write the query and you get all of that for free. And um, so the tooling around it, just because it's it's fully typed, is is so much nicer and better. Um, so in that sense, it's it's really well, or like it it works great for me. Um, what like there's use cases where I absolutely like would not use it. Let's say for example, you have um, use case where you have end-to-end -end encryption. Then then you the message that you encrypt with all the data is like the whole message is encrypted. You cannot query from an, uh, parts of an uh, encrypted message. So um, I know from like people building messengers, um, like it makes absolutely no sense to like uh, uh, put a query on top of the message because you get the full data, you have the full data set and that's it. And and um, so there's like situations where 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 you don't, um, yeah, we have where you have encryption or yeah, some in, some situations where you have a lot of like bulk data that is like one-time uh, data exports. Uh, pff, why do GraphQL? Um, you just mm -hmm. dump all the data into uh, whatever format is needed, and you're done. Uh, no need to no need to to make this more complex than it is. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so you think that the, the overhead, uh, the, the benefits are even in smaller situations, um, um, yeah, bigger than, than, yeah, of course, the learning curve, if you don't know it, sure, um, but let's assume um, that, that um, everybody knows it. Um, but on the other hand, maybe let's go to the other extreme. Do you think there are projects, um, because I'm, I'm currently asking myself this question, mm -hmm. um, do you think there are problems um, where, where one GraphQL schema would just get too big? So if you really think of huge, I don't know, enterprise um, projects or yeah, e-commerce domains where you maybe have a really big graph if you think about the whole data model um, in one thing, would you then start to split it up? It's
environment would say, okay, we build now true graph endpoint, GraphQL endpoint, sorry. Um, yeah. Also with the risk, of course, that we cannot interjoin them anymore, but um, to, to keep the graph a little bit smaller and to allow to mutate it better. I think it's like so far I never had that problem, even in, 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 in situations where we had a big domain. But basically the... the and I mean, there are some discussions on having namespaces in 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 the, in the specification and so on. But the thing yeah. is, um, what I what I usually do is I refer to Facebook. They have a vast space of um, entities, and they still manage to put everything into one schema. Um, so then, then if they can do it, well, first you have to reach the scale of Facebook and its amount of entities to um, probably really run into a problem. Um, so. I think in my career uh, until now, I never had that. And I think for the foreseeable future, it will not happen. But I mean, there there's definitely points where I would split up GraphQL endpoints. And the, the, the most important factor is um, uh, difference on like authorization, authentication. Um, let's say um, I'm providing a service and I'm providing uh, um, uh, an API for my internal clients, like mobile apps, a web client, and there's a public API. I would, um, like you could combine this into one GraphQL endpoint, but maybe it's a burden um, because, you know, internally you are, it's way easier to deprecate because you have full control of all the clients um, for an external or public API. Um, it's always like, it's harder to, to, um, to force other people to upgrade. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, that this is usually where I think about like splitting it into to two or if you really need to make a massive breaking change or multiple massive breaking changes that piled up in your GraphQL endpoint, I would simply, you can still do a V2 and then like copy the whole thing and fix these breaking changes, call it V2. And um, and it's a different HTTP endpoint, um, just, I don't know, slash uh, v2 slash GraphQL. And then you, you do it there and you make sure all your clients migrate to the new one. Um, and uh, you can leave the old one running as long as it's, it's there. And then if all the old mobile clients are, are upgraded, um, you can turn it off. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, really, really, really insightful, yeah. Um, can, maybe, can I ask yeah, the sure. last question, maybe? I think we're already getting on time. So, Nick, what, what would you, because as I said in the beginning, I have no idea what's going on. So what would you uh, recommend as a, but it seems from your explanation, now I feel the need to get into this because it seems to be very <laughs> important to know it. Uh, and I, I I like your enthusiasm. So, what would be a good starting point? So, where would I? What's a resource that I should I go for the spec and just read the spec? So, how can I get into this topic yeah. reasonably? What would so you recommend? First of all, I would say, what's your angle? If you're more like, uh, if you're more front-end developer, then I would simply um, um, there's like there's uh, how to graphql.com. Um, and there is uh, hasura.io, which and they have also plenty of great tutorials. And then I basically, yeah, pick either one of these sites um, and 
based on like what's your if you're front-end developer start with that one like use the apollo or relay client and just query an existing data point i mean they have this they have these tutorials where you don't have to write any backend you just query existing stuff um and um and do that or if you're more from the backend side depending on on these sites, they're for different, if you're more into Go or more into Node.js, um, you can find for either way tutorials and, and I would say simply try it out to build something and, and get into it and make yourself familiar with it. And yeah, obviously if you really do something in production, there's there's from Marc-André Chiron, um, he previously worked at Shopify and built the GraphQL API up there uh, with the team. And now he's um, in the API team at GitHub. And he actually this week released uh, a book. It's productionreadygraphql.com. This is like, he's one of the uh, most famous people in the, in the space about like really doing production-ready content. And I think, yeah, you can also check out my course if you're interested on aghead.io, look for designing GraphQL schemas, um, and that, then, then it's there. But Mark and my stuff is more advanced. But yeah, if you, if you plan to go with something in production than this, um, yeah, I hope that helps. Well, you, you, thank you. You basically told me just uh, get start doing it, which yeah. I... Appreciate. Um, so now I'm a bit concerned. If I start doing it, I would probably go directly in the pitfalls that you mentioned in the beginning. Or is that something that would happen later? Like, is that when you start creating larger schemas, then these these uh, subspecs uh, come into play? Or how is? Well, I think yeah. In the first, the first part is just get familiar with it. Like, what is a schema? Um, what is a resolver? Like. Get the basics, and I mean, it usually is like if you're an experienced software engineer who dealt with API problems in the past and like breaking changes and so on, you will you will see them anyway. You see them coming. You're like, ah, oh, this hurts if I do it like this. And then I would, if you're at that point, um, then I would start looking up like, okay, what are best practices? And mm -hmm. what you always look at is like the relay. Relay is like how Facebook implemented it, and basically they have made all the specs kind of it's not mandatory but they highly recommend you to use these specs and yeah and then you can actually go for the production ready graphql book or or like um yeah so it's like the thing is there's a learning curve so i would say start simple and and do something real with it and then only um then only go into to the um, but I, I think it also really depends on like how people grasp it. If you, yeah, if you're yeah. very quick learner, pff, go for the pro codes. Uh, I get pro, it. Pro and it, and it makes sense. And I can't recommend anybody that starts coding to go for design patterns immediately. Right? Yeah. And that's basically what you said. So that's very sensitive, uh, uh, like reasonable advice. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I guess that's it for this. Is the React Meetup online now, Nick? So is, are you yeah. running everything online? So how is yeah, that? Yeah, we probably will do. Um, to be honest, we I, I'm pretty certain we're gonna do it. We simply have not um, 
changed the meetup there. Yeah, but it will definitely not be happening at SIE. So yeah, probably next week I will take care of. Uh, I'm still wrapping up this week with a client. So, so it was an intense week um, because they had like a lot of last minute um, requests. But uh, then we next week we probably um, announce where and how to do it online. And I think this is how every meetup nowadays does it. So I would still go to um, check out your favorite meetups and and see when they're doing the next online version of it. And what's interesting is now we have requests from people like Italy, people mm -hmm. saying like, hey, when is the next Rekt Vienna online? I would join, which is yeah, fascinating, um, fascinating. Uh, it's, it's true because the Vienna meetups are English anyway. So yeah. I, most meet, like all meetups I went were, were English by default. So that's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, we also had uh, recently we had our, our code retreat, the little code retreat from the Softex uh, crafters community online it worked nice and the next one will be on 16th of may so like uh, in like a one month and a, and a bit and two weeks so that's just have to it looks like there are more things happening than ever in a way because <laughs> yeah. uh, more stuff is is approachable i could also join some remote stuff in the states because I can join everything like you said with the with person from italy yeah that's uh that's like an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It it really um because everybody's lifestyle really changes changed so much. Um uh there are there are new ways to connect now. This is good. Mm -hmm. And definitely some sense. so yeah. do you do you have experience with with um, remote conferences already or did you do you do you plan to attend something like this? Um I I'm just thinking about it. I think I attended one or so, or like, or be part of one, but no, no, I never organized one remote conference or so. I mean, I, I have experience with remote work and larger meetings um, in the past couple of years, but yeah. Um, um, well, what I did a couple of times is um, do remote workshops with up to 40 people. Um, yeah. Uh, well, one thing that I can recommend there or like what works really nice is um, you have like basically a presentation part and uh, uh, then in some tools you can do breakout rooms and then you basically if there's an exercise um, and you can do this with a meetup as well you could simply because if 50 people are in the same room nobody can um, communicate but then you do these breakout rooms and then you create groups of like three four people and they can communicate and exchange ideas and then you break up the breakout rooms again into one big room and you yeah you can continue with the content and then you go on but i think this could also work well for let's say um let's say the the like online conferences or meetups where you do um basically you want to you want to establish this way of like still people connecting on a meetup you don't want it to be like a um okay i could watch this on youtube um but um you create with these breakout rooms like these circles on a conference that are basically happening where people gather and talk to each other mm -hmm. and um yeah and then obviously leave them the opportunity to switch breakout rooms so this is the same you want to basically online uh, that would be my idea, like online emulate what's happening at a conference. So if I see, I don't know, um, Peter is in another breakout room 
um, and we haven't seen each other in a long time, I would like switch this breakout room. Hey, Peter, um, how are you doing? Uh, uh, what's going on? And then, then um, yeah, I think this is this is what I would do because then it's it's not only YouTube watching. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, this reminds me on, on when I when I worked for quite a, or a company was which was really major uh, or mature in, in this remote working, and they did something similar. They did actually in 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 Slack they created rooms for for all the rooms you usually have in a company, right? So there was for example mm -hmm. a, a kitchen or a coffee machine, and it was really just a Slack room. <laughs> Where people were were chatting and saying, "Hey, I'm now for a coffee, right?" So yeah. as you usually in a company go for a coffee and meet there, uh, they they had a Slack room for this, which sounds quite funny in the beginning to me because I thought it's somehow a joke, right? But they really they really lifted like this. Yeah, they went there when they had a coffee. They wrote, "Hey, I'm drinking coffee. Anybody else who wants to have a short chat, yeah, in this room." Yeah. I think nowadays it's even way more important because what we what we the situation that we currently have is is not. It's not remote work per se, because usually my recommendation is for remote work, go to a co-working space or an office where you can hang out with other people. And I'm, I'm doing this right now. I'm sitting in an empty office because everybody's at home, so I could come here. Um, but um, yeah, usually I go to lunch with these people and I have social interaction. So I think these breakout rooms, like at one company where, where I work, they, they every, like at noon, from, noon, from like 12 to 1, um, there's like one open Google Hangout where can, people can join and they enjoy lunch together. And this is this is really important for people who are like, think about like some of us are home with the family, but right now some of us are really home completely in isolation. They're alone in their flat since what, nine, day, nine days? Um, and like having at least one to two hours like conversation with other people in the company, leisure, leisure conversations are really really important to stay sane yeah and yeah, also what we what we do with react vienna is um max is leading this effort max Stauber is like fantastic um every day at like two or three um, um he's basically uh hosting about an hour like coffee break so he's making coffee he's sitting down and they're like five to uh five six seven people showing up and you, you just talk about stuff and it's it's fantastic because yeah, if you're home all day long in this isolation, um, I think it's even more important to like hang out and stay sane. Cool. So we, beside React Vienna, of course, uh, which you actually founded, right? Um, do you have any other meetups you you usually or you from time to time um, go to in Vienna? Uh, unfortunately, not so much anymore. But I mean, I what I. Well, uh, well, there are some. What I really like is the the new security meetup um, that is happening since a couple months, and um, they now they also went online. Um, okay. Um, this is really interesting. Um, like, yeah, then um, yeah, check out the View meetup, check out the Angular meetup, check out the Vienna JS meetup. I mean, this is more my my forte. Um, there's also the microservice meetup. Um, I haven't been there in a while, but um, that was pretty good back then when I went. And um, there was also some interesting cryptocurrency meetups where you can, uh, um, yeah, uh, like fun and crazy stuff to learn. Um, um, organized always by, by 
in Riyadh, but I'm not sure if they, they're still doing it or if they're doing it online. Yeah. The thing yeah, is, why, since, why is Demograph Belmy do actually? Yeah, good question. Um, well, we, there was a discussion a couple of times, but if, well, it's often content right now that's happening in React and uh, or like we, we cover a lot of GraphQL in the React meetup. So I don't know, we, we could do a GraphQL meetup. Yeah, could be, could be possible. And a lot of cities have it, but I don't know. It seems like nobody picked it up in Vienna. It, it takes, uh, takes effort to move a mountain. <laughs> Sure, sure. Yeah. But it would be cool. So if you're listening and you're interested, um, feel free to reach out to me. I'm totally happy to support you to kick this off. And we'll share all my knowledge. Actually, I wrote a blog post how to run a meetup. So I will share that yeah, first yeah. and personal I've, I've advice. Read this. I think I read this. It's already a few years ago, right? Or at least one or yeah. two years, this blog post. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. it happened. Sure people from all over the world asked me like, how how did you start React Vienna? And then if you answer the same thing ten times, then you um, you put it into a blog post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's efficient actually, right? Cool. Yeah. I should do it more often. <laughs> Still have questions that I ask uh, answer more than ten times. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and do you do you have any recommendations for conferences or maybe other? things which are somehow driven by the Viennese um, community, uh, community which are maybe not not known too good or should be known better or which you would like I, to I heard you guys are organizing a conference in this fall this, this exactly yeah. yeah yeah it's it's in the second of October um, yes. it's, it's like the podcast yeah mainly focusing on how to build great products um, of course mainly um, focusing on software architectures best practices so we really want to don't make it too technology agnostic. So of course there's there's a, a spot for GraphQL definitely, and there's an open <laughs> CFP, right? <laughs> um, so from this perspective, everybody who, who, who wants to contribute something, um, yeah, should should feel free to do it. Yeah, I hope that um, yeah, at the current um, Corona crisis, that we will be still able to do it on the second October. But yeah. I, I I hope for the best right now. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. But apart from that, to be honest, like most of the conferences that I, that I like, since I have a, 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 a two-year-old boy, like I really try to like, um, like stay more at home and spend time with the family and like, um, so I, I decided to do way less conferences and all of them that I have in spring now, they basically canceled. We still do the workshops, but uh, in an online way, but everybody moved to next year, which is a... Mm -hmm. uh, Probably yeah, could. most of them really went to next year or somehow November, December, right? It's, it's actually yeah. crazy times, yeah? Totally, yeah. Totally. Cool. Well, I guess well, we are really running out of steam here. Right? Yes. So I right. guess that, that's it. So let's, yeah. Good. Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure to be here. Um, thanks for the overtime and uh, hope to see you all soon. Sure. Yeah, because we'll meet again and team up over another cup of delicious developer melange. Yes. <laughs>